Welcome everyone to episode two of the Cap City Outfitters podcast. Um, today, Chris and I are going to be talking about optics. Absolutely. Um, most of this is going to center on what would be considered defensive optics uh, for close to medium range use. Um, probably still that's more geared towards civilians and law enforcement. Uh, probably not military stuff uh, across, you know, two to 300, 400 yard engagements or <laughs> sniper kind of stuff because that's out of our lane. Uh, so we'll be talking about interesting stuff like perhaps red dot optics, reflex type optics, as well as low power variables and maybe some of the low power fixed optics uh, like ACOGs and things of that nature. So uh, with that, let's jump into this and maybe start at the low end of the magnification spectrum and, uh, and talk about optics starting uh, with reflex style optics for handguns sure. and jump into that. Um, you know, Brian and I both have had opportunities here recently to get a fair number of reps uh, on handguns with Trijicon RMRs. Uh, the general consensus seems to be right now still that if you want to put an RMR or you want to put a reflex optic on a handgun for defensive use, uh, the only option seems to be the RMR at this point, purely from a durability perspective. Um, additionally, the RMRs with the 06 Type 2 seems to be the one that most people think is, is the right optic. Uh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly just based on my limited experience. Um, I really like the fact that I can adjust the brightness of the dot if I need to. Um, but I also like the fact that if I set it on its auto setting, that it seems to be maybe a bump or two higher than what I would normally choose. Um, which, you know, for shooting fine targets, zeroing it, maybe not the best thing, but for finding it quickly under duress or under a light, um, it seems to be enough dot to find in that situation. Um, I would agree on spending the extra couple dollars on the adjustable Type 2 LED yes. uh, version of the RMR. <clears throat> An opportunity to shoot um, RMRs under NVGs last winter. And having started out um, borrowing a friend's who had a Type 1 non-adjustable and having basically the, the dot just bloom out the target because it wasn't there was no night vision setting. Yeah. There was just the you know, the one size and one illumination setting. Yeah. Uh, not being able to adjust it becomes really important if you ever think you're going to use the RMR under um, night vision. And also then to say, it running a pistol with an RMR and night vision is cheating. <laughs> uh, it's really the only way to run a pistol under NVGs. Uh, so if that that's something that's on your radar, spend you know the extra little bit of dollars up front and get the Type 2 adjustable LED. Gotcha. Hey, question for you on that regard. As we have some of our compadres running lasers, um, putting an IR laser on a pistol and some of the things that we see that that creates more from a mental shooting standpoint than an actual physical shooting standpoint. Um, so the RMR way over a laser on a handgun as well. Um, because of familiarity, because of stability, or why? What do you what do you think would be the the gain over a pistol mounted IR laser versus the optic? Uh, with the optic, there's no change in manual arms compared okay. with running the laser. Okay. Um, you're being able to run the pistol in the day, um, especially if you have your NVG set up on the eye you normally shoot with. Mm -hmm. Uh, the pistol is going to go in exactly the same place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, it makes it a lot easier from a holster selection standpoint. Okay. And I'm not necessarily sending a signature downrange. Okay. Uh, okay. We start thinking about you know every crack house, meth house has um, you know 
$90 hunting IR cameras from Walmart set up. Yeah. Um, trying to, to minimize any kind of visible signature. Okay. Until we need to, I think is kind of important. So the good guys' beams won't be showing. So. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. I, I, I knew there were some advantages. I just didn't know what they were. So that's, that's cool to hear. Um, on the handgun, guys, one of the things that we hear back from folks who are out beating on these things, um, we had a, a, a local tactical officers uh, conference um, here in the Midwest in the last year that, that had an opportunity to bring in a very knowledgeable trainer. Um, if you're looking up information or, or local people in the Midwest to take uh, optics, handgun optics, defensive handgun optics classes from, uh, Scott Jedlinski is the name that seems to come up over and over and over again. Uh, this is not a plug for Scott. I don't know Scott personally. I, I only know his reputation. Um, but I know that in a couple of training opportunities um, where some of our local tactical guys have gone and taken classes, um, folks out there running optics other than Trigicon RMRs are having problems, whether it's maintaining zero, broken optics, battery life, um, visibility, just different things like that. Uh, I know that the Delta Point is very popular. Um, we have a, a friend of the business here who's, who's really a Delta Point fan. Uh, but his comment was because of where he sits in the industry and how visible he is, is that if I break one, um, they just give me another one. And, and that's great, but I'd rather not have to use that warranty. I know Trigicon does the same thing. If you break one, they'll give you another one. Um, having said that, it is a consumable item. Understand that if you beat on it, if you, you, know, you rack the gun with the optic, whether it's on clothing or car doors or whatever, you're probably going to tear it up. So understand that that $600 Trigicon RMR is going to have a lifespan and at some point you're probably going to break it and at some point Trigicon may say yeah that's enough you got to buy the next one I don't know don't know how that works I haven't been that far down that road um, but man is the thing durable um, and that lends one other concept to the optic that's not necessarily glass related but size related uh, we talked about this in the last podcast catching that optic on stuff to run the gun especially one-handed uh, is just phenomenal. So I'll leave that alone. Yeah. Um, to uh, transition over to rifles, um, one thing, especially new rifle shooters, I think still kind of bring this mentality of, well, I need to master iron sights before I go to an optic. And maybe that was the case 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but today, you know, I think our opinion is that put a red dot on the, on the rifle yeah. Um, learn and master the use of the red dot and then have an understanding of how iron sights work from a backup perspective. Yeah. Um, but with the durability of modern red dot technology, uh, our backup iron sights tend to get zeroed and then flipped down and basically forgotten about. Yeah, and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go full wannabe special forces nerd guy here and say, you know, if you follow what the current guys out there on, on the pointing of the spear are doing, if you look at photographs of their gear, um, you know, some other places out there like Loadout Room and stuff like that on a pretty regular basis will show, hey, this is, you know, X groups, one of their operators' current loadouts from his last deployment in, in wherever is Stan. And one of the things that's become real common is actually an absence of backup iron sights on guns. And that's for a couple of different reasons. I think it might have to do with laser designators, IR illuminators, things of that nature, um, like PECs and, and malls and whatnot. But I think a big part of it is when you're running good quality optics more and more, which we just don't see significant failure rates on those optics. And if you're in a team environment, it's probably not such a big deal. 
And if your skill level is at that skill level, it's probably not such a big deal. You can probably continue to fight without that. Um, having said that, for civilians, you know, you're probably going to be on your own, so your stuff better work. So whether you want backup iron sights or not, it's going to be a personal call. Um, but I agree with Brian completely. If you're doing using a rifle professionally, you need to know how to use the rifle, how it's going to be equipped. And, and you should have iron sights on the gun, and you should know how to use them. Uh, but as a primary, I just think that's a way secondary thing at this point in time. And we're probably going to get scalded for saying that, as neither one of us are combat arms veterans. Um, and that's cool. Let, you know, let the scalding begin. But I think if you look around in the world and see what's happening, that's a trend. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it's what's happening. Uh, time will bear whether or not it's right. So, yeah. Yeah, with the one of the big combat multipliers with the red dot is that it allows us to focus most of our attention on the target and yeah. what the target's doing versus trying to keep three focal planes with the iron sights in yeah. perspective and keep our focus in the front sight. Um, one of my instructors on a tactical response called a red dot turning one person into four from a combat efficiency perspective. Um, it really having an optic over irons really is a game changer. Um, and it, it just makes it really simple to put the red dot where you want the bullets to go, yeah. pull the trigger, repeat as necessary. Yeah. Um, and you know, we can get into fairly good you know, durable optics for home defense training, yeah. uh, starting at about the $200 mark. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, some local PDs running optics that uh, we probably wouldn't have recommended two or three years ago, um, but they've been durable enough. Um, you know, so there are like that $200 price point kind of is the beginning. Uh, if you can afford to pony up and put $400, $500 into uh, a, an Aimpoint Pro, uh, an Aimpoint ACR, or preferably a Trigicon, uh, the MROs seem to be really good optics at that $550 price point. Um, from a size perspective, weight perspective, um, and the shape, I like the conical shape of the MRO. You can run it a little closer to your eye, and it occludes less of your vision in that position. Um, I, I think it's price point dollars spent as a value conversation is, is every bit as good as the Aimpoint T2. Um, I know that a lot of folks, you know, are reporting less parallax issues with the T2, but I'm not looking at my Trigicon MRO as a 200-yard optic. I'm looking at it as a 50-yard and in solution, and likely a down-the-hallway solution. Um, and at those kind of ranges for civilian law enforcement and for, for civilians, you're just not seeing parallax as a big part of that equation. Soldier on the battlefield trying to gauge two, three, four hundred meters, absolutely, then, you know, parallax becomes an issue. At that point, you've got to find that dot in the center. Um, for us, doing some of the training we've done around vehicles, barricades, structures, stuff like that, when you're not, that dot's not perfectly in the middle at the, the common distances, it's just, it's not a concern. Right. Just not part of the conversation. So. Yeah, the other um, option for, you know, optics on a, an AR-15 tends to be the low power variable optic. Yeah. Um, or what most people would consider to be a traditional rifle scope. Um, in that, we're kind of looking for some something in the magnification range, like one to four, one to six, one to eight, probably on the top end. Yeah, I'm not aware, and I don't know if anybody's doing a true 1X or a close enough to true 1X and going beyond eight. I'm, I'm sure somebody's probably got a 10 out there. I wonder what the 1X looks like. Um, with the low power variables, 
Yeah, I think it's. I think it is critical because there are some companies out there doing like a one and a half to five. I think Leupold does a one and a half to five. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one and a half optic is just enough magnification to slow you down up close, um, to kind of make you work at resolving what's in front of you if you don't train with it a lot. Um, yeah, if you if you train with um, with that one and a half, and this is me speaking from experience, yeah. having run yeah. a one and a half to six US optics for a long time. Uh, it works out to like two or maybe three tenths of a second okay. on a three second drill. So, and if you're pushing into something like that, where it's adding just a little bit of time, I, I still think we get into these conversations around um, everything is a time-based metric. And I get that, you know, you've got the rest of your life to solve the problem in some of the scenarios that we're dealing with, but there's also a reality check to tactics matter and, and how does some of the tools you use, how do they let you solve the problem better, more efficiently, more precisely, more safely to other people around that environment as well. So giving up a, a Scotia time to be able to do a few other things really well, I think there are times when that pays off. And the low power variable in that one and a half range, if you train with it and you're giving up a little bit, you may be gaining more other places to make that little bit worth it. And then you can train into that little bit if you decide that's legitimately a concern for you. Um, yeah, one of the one of the big things that you gain with the low power variable is the ability to reach out um, yeah. and see what's going on at distance. Um, one of the the trainings I had an opportunity to do a couple of years ago was a partner shoot house class up at Alliance with Steve Fisher, and one of those one of the evolutions we had a, a kind of an unidentified target at about fifty yards down the main hallway of the shoot house up there. And both myself and my partner had taken carbines with red dots, ah. and it was like I brought the wrong brought the wrong rifle with me for this. Sure, sure. Uh, where you know, if my partner had been able to cover down, I could have just cranked up the magnification and figured out what was going on. Yeah, um, would yep. have really made a difference. Um, to the extent that you know, my personal take is that you're whether you're you know prepping team or your patrol team or your you know, all the guys that are out, you know, on a shift, like one person should probably have a quality low power variable optic on their carbine, you know, at any given time for kind of just that reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being able to, to have overwatch and or overmatch um, based on your glass, uh, especially when you can start adding things like 77 drain mark 262 into the equation, mm-hmm. you know, really gives you the opportunity to stretch things out should the need arise. Yeah, and, and if we take that back into the civilian end of the world, um, you know, maybe if you live in a more rural area, you've got property and you want to see, you know, what's going on because there's a concern, you know. Uh, the ability to throw 4X or 6X into the game lets you make a better decision. It just simply gives you more data, it gives you more input to make a decision based on that's always going to be a better decision. So, you know, law enforcement, same conversation. If you can set up and maybe get the rifle out because you've been told you need it and you can see what's going on from 60, 70 yards away, um, you know, through that picture window, through the windows in the house, whatever, maybe you can gain or glean some viable intel that maybe lets things settle down or maybe lets people know, hey, this is legitimately a bad situation. You know, Mm -hmm. just confirmation or not. So, yeah. Yeah, And, you know, we started looking at office buildings, schools. Yeah. Walmart. Um, big spaces big spaces you know the need in an active shooter situation to take a 100 or even 150 yard shot inside is not out of the realm of possibility anymore yeah definitely talking to 
um, some of the LEO guys that work in schools, you know, in Central Ohio, uh, there there are definitely some hundred yard hallways um, in some of these big places. So, uh, you know, that that school resource officer or responding officer that would give them a significant advantage to to make sure that you know whether or not they need to take that shot. So. Um, one of the things around low power variables, I, I'm old enough to remember low power variables that sucked. Uh, from a perspective of low power variables not being uh, waterproof, uh, fog proof, low power variables having change in point of aim, point of impact going through the power range, uh, different things of that nature. If, if you're going out in the, today's day and age, if you're going out and you're, you're spending, I, I don't know what the dollar amount is, but I'm going to say if we throw a dollar amount at it, uh, a low power variable, six, seven, eight hundred. I mean, what's what's Brr. really the stake your life on it? Entry level. Let's say for a civilian, and then let's say for somebody who's going to throw it in and out of a cruiser in a case all the time. Yeah, um, I'd say kind of the like the low end of the stake your life on it is probably the Sig um, okay. Tango Four, like one to four. Okay. Which is a first focal plane optic with, I think it's got locking turrets on it. Okay. Um, I actually put one on a 10-22 yeah. over the summer, and it's proven to be a pretty good optic. Okay. Um, moving up from there, we've got the Trigicon AccuPower 1-8. to Which is flipping awesome. Um, I'm running one of those right now, and you know, it's, again, first focal plane, yeah. locking turrets, um, mill rad reticle, um, mill turrets, and you know the 1X performance is really good. It, it feels a lot like an EOTech reticle at 1X. Yeah. And then being able to you know dial up the magnification and having a consistent you know reticle from a ranging and holdover perspective yeah makes a big difference um, one of the the real advantages with the low power variable optic especially with the first focal plane is having being able to make holdovers based on the reticle okay versus you know having to put the dot where you think it needs to go okay. um, especially at distance um, it gives you a little bit more flexibility with ammo um, and temperature and all that because now I just I need to know, hey, you know, at this distance, I need to hold up one mil or yeah. hold down one mil. Yeah. Um, so I, I have an actual spot on the reticle to do that with um, when it comes time to make that precise shot. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at quality levels, price point, perspective, things of that nature, um, it, it, it seems that with just a couple of exceptions of there are a couple rare beasts out there in front focal plane scopes that are indeed bargain scopes. But in general, if you push into a front focal plane, you're probably paying enough money to have something that's pretty durable. Um, you know, the the uh, the other thing about the Trigicon, that occupier specifically, good lord, you could pound in barn spikes with it. Um, yes, it's a tank. Yes, you're adding weight, but I it just after playing around, you know, with the one in the shop and yours. Um, you know, really interesting thing. Um, going out there in the world and look at some reviews from guys that are actually pushing them and running them. Um, man, what a neat optic. It's mm -hmm. spendy, but wow, what a neat optic. Yeah, and I guess the, you know, the, the other thing to, to talk about with low power variables is that as much as possible, we want to minimize the use of magnification. Um, everybody yeah. buys one and then wants to run it at you know, max power all the time which is great when you're trying to reach out, you know, for five, 600 yards. Sure. But, you know, up close, um, as much as we can do at one or two X, um, kind of, it gives you a lot more situational awareness. It yep. makes target acquisition a lot faster. Yep. Um, because we have a larger field of view. We're not trying to find, 
to target through straw. Yeah, and one of the things, if you talk to anybody, you know, there are myriad and sundry stories of guys, you know, going out west on their first big elk hunt, and, and they, you know, they go buy their 300 wind mag bolt gun, uh, their mountain gun with the Kevlar stock, etc., and they put some monster 5 to 25 telescope on it, and they have it set at 25 without realizing it, and an elk stands up of a lifetime. Elk of a lifetime stands up 30 yards away, and all you see is hair. Um, you know, there, there's a little bit of a manual of arms, like any other optic, you know, that has electricity running through it. Um, same thing with the magnification, you know, check a button occasionally, make sure the thing's turned on, and then you should probably have a check that when you pick the gun up, make sure it's dialed down to its lowest magnification range so you can deal with that close threat immediately. And then if you have time to dial up some magnification, great, take the time to do that. But that's kind of, you know, that's a training issue. So like a lot yeah. of things. Uh, the other, you know, the other optic that I think we've seen prove to be very useful, uh, at least in training and, you know, I think real world too, um, you know, observing what other people are doing is the Trijicon, um, the three to 35 ACOG, which one are you run? Three to 30? The, well, the two, so Trijicon has, without getting too esoteric, Trijicon does um, some micro ACOGs that are like one and a half mag. They do the three power, the three and a half, and the four X, and they do a larger, uh, like a five and a half. The three by 30 and the three and a half by 35 are extremely user-friendly optics. Uh, those of you that have been in the military and had an opportunity to use the four power ACOGs um, are aware how critical eye relief can be. Um, you know, they can be a little bit tweaky from odd positions and stuff like that, trying to find the right place in the eye box. Um, because of the the magnification range or the magnification of that optic versus its objective, uh, the eye box is a lot more forgiving on the three X and three and a half X optics. Uh, you see a lot of um, competition shooters doing multi gun using the three and a half by thirty five for that reason because dumb positions just don't matter. Uh, it's a lot bigger optic than the three by thirty, so the three by thirty still gives you that very very forgiving eye box. You can be nose to charging handle an inch and a half off of the optic, or you can be back four inches. Um, I know that with the three to thirty, we've done stuff where we've been supine on your back, you know, muzzle between your knees and the gun stretched out on the sling and, and the optics a foot away from me. And it's 75 to 100 yards if, if the little green donut of death is on that plate or on that target, that's where the bullet's gonna go. Um, so it's very parallax forgiving as well in that regard. Um, the four powers, the, the four by 32s, way, way, way less forgiving. So if you're looking at that, um, jumping into the ACOG is a differential to the one to four. Um, the low power one to four, one to six, one to eight at its lowest power, I think is probably faster. Um, until you get some reps on the ACOG and learn how to use the bend and aiming concept end of it, um, the, the ACOG is, is an awesome optic, but it does require some train up. It requires getting to, getting to know her a little bit. Uh, one of the cheats, uh, one of our reps that we used to deal with, I had gone to a Trijicon class and one of the things they do is they'll, they actually throw tape or they occlude the optic um, so that you can't see through it so your primary eye is forced to look at the reticle, your, you know, your weak side or offside eye is forced to look at the target, your brain puts them together. It works pretty well, it gets pretty quick, uh, but it still allows you 3X for a little more precision placement or a little bit of distance work with the reticle. Um, within the ACOG, the different reticles, uh, really like the donut dot reticle or the horseshoe dot, I think is what Trijicon calls it. Uh, the horseshoe dot's great for up close and still lets you do work out through 300 yards pretty handy. 
Um, I know guys shoot them out further than that. I'm not that good, and I don't have the place to do it. So the couple times I've tried, it's worked out okay, but I don't have enough time doing legit long range stuff to speak on that. So, but yeah, I love my I love my three XA cog. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, last thing we're gonna talk about is you know optics and warranties, and kind of how all that works out. Uh, warranties, you know, some companies kind of are known for having great, you know, warranty service and lifetime service. And if you call them up and they fix it, which is outstanding. Um, But something to keep in mind, if, you know, if this thing has to perform on a given day, um, you know, that warranty is great if it's transferable the next to kin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and that that applies to a whole lot of other things in this conversation. Um, There are knife makers with great warranties. There are gun makers with great warranties. Right here in Ohio, there are gun makers with great warranties. Um, But yeah, you know, transferable next to kin doesn't do you any good on, on the worst day. So uh yeah we won't name names but you know who they are uh, if you want to know who the names are and you don't stop in the shop we'll share yeah just you know optics are definitely a, a buy once cry once kind of conversation uh, and they you know with the right mount and the right optic uh, are definitely transferable between weapon systems yes, yes. Uh, i think low power variables maybe make that easier to do yeah because we got turrets and you know with a return to zero mount quick release mount yeah. We can move the optic from rifle to rifle. We just change the settings yeah. on the on the scope, and then you know shoot a group to confirm. But yeah. it makes it you know easy to to spend good money once on an optic, and then have it be able to work on multiple platforms. Absolutely, and there's always going to be a latest and greatest. You know, with optics, there's always going to be the next coolest new thing. Um, but in general, if you buy a good piece of glass, I've, I've, I own numerous optics that I've had for longer than the rifle I'm running right now, where, you know, I, I grab a, a new gun, a new caliber, a new whatever, and go, hey, well, let's slap this on here, because I really like this, and it's held up well. It, you know, it's, it's very transferable. Absolutely. Yep, that's all we got. Thanks um, for tuning in, guys. Yeah, stop by and see us. Uh, we keep a number of these different optics in the store, so if you want to look through them, you know, we can put them up on a gun. Um, get you an idea of what they feel like. Um, Yep, stop in and see us. We'll see you soon. Thank you.